0: Welcome to the Free Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, Please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon.
1: Thank you, Jesus. This is one of the most incredible psalms in all the Bible because it's a cry. It is. It is a man who started off with humble beginnings. He was a small boy and he was a shepherd boy, kind of overlooked. And though he was small, he had a zeal for God. He loved God. It's important that you catch that. You can be young and be on fire for God. You can be young and be touched by God and he was touched by God and, and, and he's raised up from a shepherd boy to a place of prominence and power and position and he becomes a king of all of Israel. And here he is now. He is, he's in a place of authority. He came from nothing and now he's something. And the Bible says that the king has now fallen. He's fallen in sin, and, and, and he finds himself away from God, not necessarily away from church. He finds himself away from the presence and the power and the wonder of God, not necessarily away from ministry, but separated from God it's a fearful thing to be separated from God, especially when you've been walking with God and not be able to experience God in his fullness. And David now finds himself crying out this psalm. This psalm is so powerful. It, it moves me. It, it touches me. It gives me hope. And tonight, I want to look at this with you and consider my assignment tonight. Because David cried out because he wanted to return back to his place in God. And he teaches us how people, individuals, how a church and how a nation can get back to God. Because what we need to do tonight, church, we need to make our way back to God. I know you feel like you got it going on, but I'm tell you something. We got to get back to God. As individuals, as, 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 as parents, as children, as leaders, as Bible study leaders, as, as pastors, as evangelists, as workers, as students, we have to find our way back to God. And David cries out to God in this song. Because he needs God more than ever. Listen to me. We need God more than ever. God loves America. America was birthed because of America's love for God. Uh, you missed a good place. God loved Israel because God birthed Israel. And God loves America because America loves God. I want you to think about that. And God now is wooing us back again to a place that we can experience our God. I want to preach back to my place in God. Suffering loss, salvation has placed us in a unique and frightening position before the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have treasure in earthen vessels. That God has placed something inside of you of value. That we walk around with the treasure of God. We walk around with the life of God. We have the answer for a dying world. God gives us words. He gives us wisdom. He gives us insight. It comes from God. And we get this from God. It does not come from self. It comes from God. Everything of value that you have comes from God. And we have treasures, the Bible says, in clay pots. You walk around, whether you know it or not, and you have treasures on the inside of you. Uh, you read this story of, of, of Paul and John, or Peter and John, going to the temple to pray, and there's a man crying, begging for some money. And they say, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have been given. We shall give it to you. Such as God has given us. Think about that. You have something to give. You have something of worth. Something of value. In a world that is lost. In a world that is hungry. In a world that is angry. You have something to give. Uh, In the book of Acts. The Bible says. and They were recipients of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That you have... Holy Ghost power on the inside of you. Uh, we 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 have treasures in earthen vessels. How uh, you think about that? You have words that can change somebody's life. You have a treasure from God. Uh, okay. Paul speaks of his own personal testimony. He he talks about the abundance of the revelations that God gave him and mysteries that were given to him by God. He had mysteries that God opened the veil of heaven and he could see beyond and see the mysteries of God, the secrets of God. Yeah, and we read about the secrets of God because God puts something in earth and vessels. This This is how God moves in the earth. It comes from God and he puts it inside of us. He puts it inside of us. And so in our text... David's prayer of repentance is a cry for restoration. And the culmination of his prayer is Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now that's a mouthful. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, not my salvation, thy salvation. By his right hand and his, his holy arm, he has gotten himself the victory. Salvation is not your victory, it's God's victory given to you. He says, God, I want you to restore this salvation to me. I want to be able to experience your presence all over again. I want to know what it is, God, to feel you walking beside me, to hear your voice again, to feel your embrace again, to know your power again. I don't want to live in fear and trepidation. God, give me your salvation. So it tells me that salvation can be lost. That's, a, that's another sermon, but he says, "Restored in me, stay with me, because it's a little drop in here, it's Cheers. And so, he he wants this to be recovered in his life. His loss loss was not material or outward, but that of an inward impartation, that which moves from generation to generation. Mm, the salvation he's speaking of. Is that which God had in his mind before the world began. I mean, the thoughts that God is thinking about you. I mean, the goodness of God, the plans of God, the purpose of God for your life, the dreams that God has for you. He says, I want that to be restored, God, because I know you had a purpose for me. I know I'm not an accident or an incident. I'm not here, God, by accident. You brought me here for such a time as this. Not if you're an accident. You have a purpose in God. He says, restore this to me again, God. I've lost something along the way. I've lost something, God, and I need it back. In, 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 In Joel chapter 225, we read a very familiar scripture that we quote and we hear people using in prophecies. And not our Lord will restore to you the years that locusts have eaten and the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palm worm, my great army which i sent against you and so it gives us four little insects it says the cankerworm the caterpillar the 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 palm worm, and the locust but it's all one bug it's a locust, it's a larvae, it's a palm worm, it's a caterpillar. Then it gets wings and it becomes a locust. He's teaching us the progression of sin. It starts as a larvae. It starts small, but then it begins to grow. He's showing you that if you don't deal with it when it starts at this small embryonic state, it gets winged. And it can travel distances. It can go from generation to generation. It can affect you and your children and their children. He says, I want you to restore. God says, I'm going to restore what's been eaten up in your life because what sin does is eats up your future, it eats up your destiny. It eats up your hopes and your dreams. It's like the Pac-Man. Remember the Pac-Man? Remember Pac-Man? Yeah, I think I got Pac-Man. Throw Pac-Man up there. Pac Man, for, for you who don't know about Pac Man, and, and he, he doesn't have Pac-Man. Something happened to it. But anyway, Pac-Man was this little, this little little game, and it would just eat stuff up. There it is, there's a Pac-Man. And the Pac-Man. That's what sin does. It eats up everything. It eats up your hopes. It eats up your dreams. It eats up your purposes. It eats up everything that God has for you. This is what David was saying. He is saying, God, I've lost some stuff. The enemy has eaten up my future, eaten up my destiny, eaten up my family, eaten up my marriage, eaten up our nation. And God, I need you to restore What's been lost in my life? He's eaten things up, God. And that's what sin does. It starts off small, but then it just keeps going and keeps going. And it, it becomes so powerful that you say, you know, man, I just can't stop it, Pastor. I just can't stop doing it. I, just, I try, but I just can't stop. I'm running to this, and I'm running to that. And I want to stop, but now it's out of control. And now it's affecting my children. Now it's affecting my marriage. Now it's affecting my finances. Now I, I find myself a slave, and it's just eating up everything it's like the pac-man that's pretty good wasn't it as a pac-man i grew up with that Mm pac-man and so in this word restore i would like to think that david began to remember everything that had been eaten up the joy of thy salvation listen what he says in psalms 40 verse 2 and 3 he brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the marie clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my going and put something inside of me. He says, When I, when I got saved, he says, God began to give me things. He began to, 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 to release things. I became recipients of things I never thought I would get before. He began to give me insight and revelation, He began to give me wisdom. He began to coach me and teach me how to love people. He began to put things inside of me. Uh, he says, I remember when I remember one day I was in a cave, and men came to that cave, and these men were discontent. They were broke, busted, and disgusted, and they couldn't be trusted. And he said, I worked with these men. I discipled these men at the cave of Aegelem. I put the word of God inside of them, and they became mighty men of God because God put treasures in me that I could release in others. He said, God, was, he was giving me stuff, man. I was a small boy, but God raised me up to be able to teach transgressors his ways. He said, oh, God, I've lost something. I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not on fire like I used to be on fire. I'm not in love with you like I used to be. But, oh, God, if you will, if you will, God, restore, restore into me. Mm. And so, and so. David said, I remember when I stood as a young boy and Saul put oil on my head, placing a king's anointing on a kid. I was just a little boy, but he, he poured this oil on me, and it saturated me. And I mean, it, was a, it was a future anointing for a future date. But God had a plan for my life, and God anointed my life with oil. For a per- he put oil on me. He put he put, uh, stay with me, and so he learned that this gift not only had the power to change his life, but the lives of others. First Corinthians 2.4, Paul said, in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and the power. Mm. He says, when I opened my mouth, people could feel the rain of his presence. Oh, uh, There was an anointing. There was power to change people's lives. He says, I suffered some stuff, man. I, I lost some stuff. And he's crying for restoration. Consider with me. Recovering lost things. In verse 1, to the end of the chapter of Psalms 51, David gives us some steps that must be taken in order to get back to our place in God. I'll look at four real quick. Four steps. He gives us steps some things that we need to do. The steps of a good man are ordered by God. He takes us up steps, not elevators, but steps. Good man, ordered by God. Four, four little steps. He gives it, there's a lot here, but I'm just going to look for four. And the first thing he does, the first words out of his mouth. I love this, first words. The first words he says is, have mercy on me, O oh God. He doesn't even say, I'm sorry. The first thing he says, he comes to God. And he comes to God based upon the mercy of God. He's acknowledging who he is and he's acknowledging who God is. He is saying, God, I don't even deserve to be here, but I'm coming because I know you're merciful. Good gracious. This man has committed some horrendous sins before God, he's committed adultery. He's killed a man, had a man killed. He's lied and connived. And he comes to God first. He says, God, I come on mercy. He says, Lord, I can't work my way back. I can't do enough to get back into your favor. But I come solely and I throw myself on the mercy of God. See, I'm going to show you example. I was on my way to prayer meeting one morning. I was driving, and uh, I was coming, and I was, I was coming. And sometimes, you know, you can, get, you can get a little excited when you're driving. And I was driving, and when I was coming down, I saw a motorcycle cop. And when I saw him, I realized, uh-oh, it's too late. It's too late. When I, I just start smiling, I pulled over, I was smiling. So he gets off his motorcycle. You know, motorcycle cops, they've been ordained to write tickets. You know what I'm saying? And so he, he gets off his motorcycle. I'm sitting there. And this, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is a heightened time in our country, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. And I'm sitting there, you know, in my car. I got my hands on the wheels. Yeah. So I'm sitting there. So he walks up real genuinely, you know, he's walking up to the car. He walks up and and I said, how you doing, officer? You know, and uh, he says, I'm doing all right. Uh, uh, License and registration. I said, "Uh, officer, can I ask you one question, sir? He said, yeah. I said, do you have any mercy in your heart this morning? (laughs) (laughs) He looked at me and he starts smiling. He starts laughing. He went back and ran my license and made sure I wasn't a criminal. Then he said, sir, you know what? I found a little bit of mercy in my heart this morning. (laughs) Uh, David came based upon, he knew he was wrong. No need to begin to blame. No need to play a victim. No need to say, no, no. Do you have any mercy, God? And the first thing he does, he throws himself on the mercy of God. I love this song on the mercy.
0: Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to World Evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks.
1: ...of the Lord. Luke chapter 18, verse 13, the public standing afar off would not live so much as... His eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. His request for mercy is a cry of humility. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes. This is serious stuff. He wouldn't even look up because he knew he didn't have a leg to stand on. He knew if I'm going to get out of this, it's going to be because of mercy. Oh, see, you have to realize who you are. Don't ever forget who you are. I don't care how much money we get. I don't care how how old we get and how much wisdom. Don't ever forget who you are before God. Don't ever, ever get so haughty that you think that God, you deserve this. No, what we deserve is something entirely different. And we come based on mercy. And David starts the psalm off with the words, have mercy on me. He understands what he's lost was a gift. All that was given to him, they could never get it back by working for it. He is saying, God, let me be the object of your infinite mercy. That my story may give hope to the fallen. He says that when people see me, they'll see you. When people read about me, they'll read about you. Let my story give hope to those who have fallen. To a nation that's fallen. Good God of mercy. Yeah, he said, let my my story uh, be read all over the world that people will know of your great mercy. The second thing he says is, wash me. It's not enough just to blot out my sins and to erase the lines that have been written against me. But he speaks to uncleanness and defilement that sin brings to the body and to the soul. He's not just asking to be washed. He's asking to be washed by God. He says, Lord, I need you to take me as a mother would take a newborn baby. And she would begin to wash this baby. And she would hammer this baby, oh, so tenderly, my God. And she would wash this baby because she loves her baby. Can all the mama say amen? He says, take me, God, and hold me and embrace me and wash me. Ah, that I may be clean. Uh, and, you know, I, I was thinking about this when I was a, a little boy, not many years ago. I said, I come home from football practice, and my mom would say, well, go take a bath. Now, back in the day, we didn't really have showers. We, what we had, we had foot tubs. There's very few of y'all know about foot tubs. Leonard probably know about it, and Sister Lavalley, she ain't here. She's from Tennessee, and uh, they know about it. But a foot tub is a big tin tub. And we get in the foot tub, and we take a bath. But see, you know, little boys, they get in the, in the foot tub, they stick their foot in, and, you know, and we run down the hall like we're clean. My mom said, boy, come here. She says, are you clean? You know, little boys, you know, and that's how a lot of us are. We go through the motions but we're not really clean. He says, wash me, God. He says, get, get behind my ears. Can I get a witness? He says, he, says, he says, wash me in places that I can't reach. Show me areas that I don't even know about. Good God. Clean me, God. Amen. In such a way, God, Lord, that my life will be pleasing in your sight. He's saying, God, you can, just, you can, you can do what you will. Here's my life there's nothing hidden from you God anyway you see everything in my life you know everything I've done wash me I need to be clean I need to be clean Lord and so wash me thoroughly implies repeatedly whatever needs to be done to take care of this then he says the words that are so prolific. Purge me with hyssop that I might be whiter than snow. This guy, this guy wants to be clean. How many want to be clean? He's been dirty, but now he wants to be clean. And he says, God, wash me. And then he says, he takes it up a step. He says, purge me with hyssop. The priest would take a plant called hyssop and dip it in blood and water and they would sprinkle it over the leper, giving the leper the ability to come back into the assembly. What David is saying is so much. He is saying, Lord, I want you to deal with this defilement. I have a stain on me. You know, listen to me. When you do wrong, I want you to hear me. A lot of times you feel like people can see it. I don't want to go to church because the pastor look at me, he knows what I've done. Now, come on, just be real with me. Uh, he knows what I've done. It's like you've got a stain on your shirt. When you get a stain on your shirt, people look at that stain and say, you've got a stain on your shirt. When you have a stain on your life, you feel the same way. Say, man, I'm not, just, there's some things that just not right. I'm doing stuff that is not right. David says, I need blood to remove this I was in my house and I, I have this this iron rod uh, um, piece of furnishing and what it's done is created rust spots on the tile so what I did I went and got me some I think they call it goof off or something like that and I just kind of mixed some stuff up you know some, some Clorox and stuff and I probably could have killed myself and I was down there, and I was scrubbing, man. I mean, I'm scrubbing, scrubbing. And, and I scrubbed it, and then, then it, it changed it. But when I look closely, it's still, it's still there. You can do everything in your power to remove that stain, but it'll be still there. He says, Lord, purge me with hyssop, that I may be whiter than snow. He is speaking of the blood. I need blood. To purge my conscience. Hebrews, put the Hebrews, to purge my conscience from dead. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Purge me, God, in my mind. Purge me from the stain, Lord, of this defilement. From the memory of it, God. The memory of the uncleanness in that relationship. Purge me, oh God. Cleanse me with his... Wash me that I may be whiter than snow. This guy's crying out to God. Oh, stay with me. I'm almost there. Mm -hmm. Someone said, The dye of sin in itself is unmovable, and I the sinner have laid long in it till the crimson is ingrained. But Lord, wash And wash again till the last stain is gone. Not a truce of defilement is left. His cry has purged me. And he realized his only hope is found in the blood of the sacrifice. And the last thing he says, he says, He's talking to God. I just, you know what? When I get to heaven, I want to see video. He's talking to God. He's talking to God. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, God. Be merciful, God. Then he says, "Lord, wash me. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm unclean." Then he says, "Purge me, God. Just, just remove this from my life. Take this from the record. The fingers that point at me in the accusation of the enemy of condemnation. Wash it away." Then he says these words: "Create in me." Those words are prolific. Because it's not the word create that I want you to see. It's this second and third word, in me. He realized that the problem is where? In me. The problem is in me. I need you to create in me. I thought the problem was out there. No, the problem is in me. And I need you to do something in me as a pastor. I need you to do something in me as a husband. I need you to do something in me as a teenager, God. I need you to work something supernatural in me because it's me, God, that stands in need of you. And He's crying to God, You see all things, God, and if God, if you'll be so merciful to do something inside of me. And so, David now had the revelation of how wicked and ugly his heart had become. In me, that it, there's no more blame. There is no more pointing fingers. It's an inside job. And he understood his restoration only happened because now he has made his heart ready. I want you, you get that. He has made his heart ready. That's the only way you can get anything from God. You have to make your heart ready. There is no change. There's no breakthrough. There's no closure until you make your heart ready. There's nothing like saying, I'm ready to do this. There's nothing like saying, you know what? I made a decision. I'm going to start tithing. There's nothing like saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to take this step of faith. I'm ready to close this door. What you're doing, you're making your heart ready. And that's what he did. He says, create in me a heart, Lord, that can respond to you. Ah, Yes, I'm going to stay with me. You will never get the breakthrough that you need if your heart is not made ready. Until you humble yourself, until you get your heart ready, your choices will cause you to suffer loss. You'll keep suffering lost. The Pac-Man will keep eating things up. You'll keep losing stuff. Instead of going forward, you'll go backwards. You'll keep fighting the same old fights, having the same old struggles, dealing with the same old habits, going backwards instead of forward. Oh, God, I made my heart ready. I made it ready. Ready to be free. I'm ready, God, to serve you. I'm ready to answer the call of God. I made my Mm. see the heart is the rudder of the soul David literally took his heart and what he did he took it back and he laid it on the altar of God now I want you to hear what I'm saying especially online this is for you then we're going to pray he took his heart and he went back to the altar and he laid it on the altar The altar, the Old Testament saints, understood the significance of altars. They understood that to weigh to God, in order to get to God, the altar was very, very important. The altar spoke of the principles and the priority and the policies, if you will, of God. It spoke of that which God loved, it spokes of that which honored God. And David realized that his heart had been placed on another altar of this world. An altar of self and serving self in carnality and flesh. And so now he reclaims his heart now and he takes his heart and he makes it ready and he lays it on the altar of God. You hear what I'm saying? In 1 Kings eighteen twenty one, Elijah tells the children of Israel, you are hot between two opinions. He is teaching us that there are really only two opinions and choices in the earth realm. There are only two, good and evil. And what you have to do, you have to know how to vote. You have to know how to make the choice for that which is right and refuse that which is wrong. Are you following me? It's it's, it's incredible. In the Old Testament, it's, it's on two choices. It gives you a choice. And the people now, he says, your heart between two opinions. And he says these words. If the Lord be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. You only got two choices. You only get a choice of God or the world. The altars. David took his heart. He says, what, I, what I've done, I've been living over here on this altar, doing what I want, serving my flesh, serving my own desires, and I've turned my back on that which is right. I've turned my back on that which God loves the altar of the Lord and the altar of Baal. The altar of Baal or Baal worship was linked to the ancient God of fertility rights and sexuality. When you look at Baal you look at the God of sexuality and sexual orientation and the arbiter over fertility. When you hear someone say this is my body you don't tell me what to do with it. That's Baal speaking. It's, it's incredible how that works. That's Baal. Whatever you say, you don't tell me how to speak. This is my body. That's Baal. That's what David was doing. David was doing what he felt he wanted to do. And he was giving himself over to the spirit of this world. And when he says, creating me a clean heart, he says, God, I got to take my heart back. I got to get my heart right because it's on the wrong altar. Oh, it's on the wrong altar. I'm serving that which is against God himself. Elijah's response to the children of Israel is important. In 1 Kings 1830, his response was to rebuild the altar of the Lord. And the Bible says, and he repaired the broken down altar of the Lord. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, I'm sure you, want you to hear me now. I'm going to let you go. The altar, the altar speaks to the foundational truths of, of what we believe in as people of God. Our upcoming election, it has two altars. They, listen, they couldn't be They couldn't be more distinct. We'll never tell you how to vote, but we'll tell you what's on the altars. Altar of the Lord. Altar of the Lord, protecting the innocent and the unborn. The freedom of religion and the, re- and the freedom of religious liberties. God love, his love for Israel. This is the altar that Jesus gave his life for. When Jesus laid down his life and he did it for what he believed in, and and when you vote, you are voting for what you believe in. It's an altar. Oh, it's an altar. And your vote attaches you to an altar. See, listen, you're not voting for a person. You're voting for principles and policies, You're voting for truth. You're voting for an altar. You're not voting for a person or personality. You're voting for that which is right. And when David took his heart, he gave his vote to God. He says, Lord, I I give you my vote. I choose you. Elijah says, choose you this day who you will serve. It's a choice. And God has given us a choice as a nation to choose again. You miss a good place to run around in church. He's given us a choice to choose. The other altar is the destruction of marriage. Promoting confused gender identity. Abortion in the womb and out of the womb. The controlling of the freedom of speech and the right to assemble and freely worship. You got two altars. So whatever you vote for, you attach yourself to that altar. You got two altars. It's your choice. And it's wonderful how Elijah, he goes, you're hot between two opinions. He didn't tell him how to vote. He says, he goes, choose you to stay. If the Lord be God, here he is. If Baal, here he is, is your decision. I'm gonna close with this. David's heart was connected to the wrong altar. He says, I chose sexual immorality over holiness. I chose murder over the sanctity of life. I chose lies and cover-up over truth. And his cry was God created me a clean heart so I can get back to my place in God. I want to say this. Don't allow, as the musicians come, don't allow your hate for a candidate to cause you not to choose and vote right. Because we're not voting for a candidate, we're voting for an altar. And if you want to vote right, you got to get your heart right. You got to create a in me a clean heart. I've been upset about stuff and vexed about stuff, but God, I need to be able to refuse the evil and choose the good. And David's cry was, Created in me, God. that I can get back to my place, that I can make right decisions again, that I can love people again, that I can forgive again, that I can be the man of God, that I can hear from God again. He says, I want you to have mercy on me and wash me and purge me. But God, I want you to do it inside of me because I got to choose the good